All right, uh, we're starting a new series, new book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm really excited about this. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. It's our gift to you. If you don't have one, take it, keep it, read it. As they do that, I just want to uh, uh, publicly thank Pastor Alex and Pastor Jonathan for the past couple weeks preaching, uh, specifically through the parable of the, the talents and the parable of the, the sower. I believe that was the two timely messages that, uh, that really that should and, and I believe did prepare our hearts to begin this new series um, in this new great book of the Bible, First uh, Corinthians. So we're starting it today. We will spend the uh, majority of the year in First Corinthians. We'll spend the majority of the year here. Uh, we're going to uh, walk verse by verse through it. We will uh, get to Father's Day. Uh, we'll preach a, uh, I'll preach a sermon to, to the men, to the fathers, and then we will jump into a 10-week series. We'll take a break, 10-week series through uh, spiritual disciplines. Uh, the elders and I will work together for that series. Additionally, or following that, we'll, be, uh, we'll finish the year uh, with uh, uh, the 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll, end, we'll end there in time for Christmas. And that'll be, that's 2023. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. So be praying, uh, be preparing your heart for all that God has in store. And so um, uh, additionally, I want to say one more thing before we get started. Uh, this is dumb, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I've been scammed and uh, they're coming after you. Uh, really, uh, I've been scammed and people are getting texts in the congregation from me asking for gift cards. Apparently this is a big nationwide thing, like a billion dollars has been stolen from people in churches uh, throughout the nation uh, last year. Um, especially this new thing with gift cards. Uh, people take, taking the pastor's number, asking them, or, or another number, posing as the pastor, asking people for gift cards. And people are sending money because they, they trust their pastor. Thank you that you trust me. Don't trust this guy. I probably will never text you. So uh, <laughs> just that's the reality. Especially if you're a woman. Like I'm not texting you. So if you get a text from me privately asking for gift cards for the you know, the, the, the staff, uh, we're not doing that. Um, call me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not me. Uh, so just, just that's out there. That's happening. Uh, I've looked into it. Uh, they're, they're, they're going after contacts, people that are not in my contact book. So I can't even confirm how, how they got this information. So just so you know, I'm not texting, emailing, calling you, asking you for anything other than uh, right now, you to listen, to hear God's word. All right, here we go. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, church planting in Corinth. That's the first thing we're going to look at. We're gonna, it's going to be a little bit of an introduction. Uh, we're going to spend a year in this book, so I want to give an introduction here uh, to, to, to our, our, our book. This book is obviously written to a church in Corinth. So Paul the Apostle, who's writing this book, has planted a church in the city of Corinth. Uh, here, the, the, the culture around us, in the day in life we live in America, uh, San Antonio particularly, but America in general, or the world right now, in this present time, is in, is in a bit of chaos and confusion. We can all agree there. We are confused about many things, but, but it leaves many Christians uh, grappling with the idea of, uh, who do I follow? How do I know what's true? It, we're wrestling in a culture that's rebelling against the God of the Bible pretty rapidly. And, and, and we're, we're trying to figure out what does the Bible say or what do, how do Christians act? How do we navigate the, the, the current cultural context we find ourselves in? I need you to understand the, the book or the, 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 the church in Corinth, they were in the same thing. A lot of people were like, uh, hey, we want to get back to the first century church. Anyone ever heard that? You've probably said that. Man, we can't, why can't we just get back to the first century church? Why can't we just get back to the first century? It would be awesome. It would be great. It would be awesome. Usually they're talking about house churches, but they, but they say it like that. Just, it would be great. Acts 2, it would be great. Well, here you go. Acts 18, this church is planted. Here's the stuff that they're dealing with. They're, uh, they're, they're blindly ignoring sexual morality in their church. Uh, they are uh, suing people in the, in the church. Uh, they're questioning uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, uh, they all additionally 
uh, are having marriage issues, gender issues. They don't know which, right, which, what is a boy, what is a girl. They don't know those things either. They're going to the temple of Aphrodite, having sex at, with prostitutes at the temple. They're, they're wildly progressive, wildly uh, 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 just big city, big movement, away from the Lord Jesus. That's them. Well, welcome to the first century. We're here. That's our country. You made it. First, first, first century church, we're here. That's what you got to understand. Paul is dealing with a church in chaos. They're in chaos. They're getting drunk at communion. That's why we switched to grape juice, because it was happening here. We're just kidding. Yes. That was, that was, some of you are like, it probably did. Like, no, that's, <laughs> they were getting drunk at communion. They were getting drunk at communion. That's the, this is what's going on. And so, here we go. Paul's writing to this church. He loves them dearly. He planted it. He started it. He says it this way in verse 1 of, of chapter 1. Paul, that's the author, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. It's written to a church. I know this is obvious. I know it sounds simple. I, it, it really is. It's written to a church. However, our day and age, we oftentimes go to the Bible and go, what is this at for me? What does this text mean to me? We're so individualistic in our day. We just want to know what, that's all we care about oftentimes. What does this text say to me? How does this text relate to me? Far too often we don't ask the question, how does this relate to us? And so I want you, as we begin this sermon series, I want us to be thinking, especially today, but even in the weeks to come, I need you to, to not just think of how does this text relate to me, because it indeed does relate to you individually and personally, but, but more so it, it asks the question, what does this book, what does this text mean to us as a church? Paul is writing to a church. We're a church. He's writing to them, and he wants them to know some things. And so... This man, this author, Paul, many of you know who he is. If you've been here a while, uh, the past year we, we spent the whole year studying First and Second Timothy. Paul is the author, so you guys know who that is. If, you, if you're just joining us, then uh, just real quick, Paul is a New Testament writer. He was not a Christian. He became a Christian, like many of you. He wasn't a Christian, and he met Jesus as an adult. He got saved as an adult and then began to live a new life. And then he, he wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. He's writing to churches mainly, oftentimes uh, to, to pastors, to individual church leaders, in order to, to build up the big church uh, that, God is, that Jesus started when he rose from the dead. That's what Paul is doing. He is a, what we call a church planter. He starts churches. And so he's planted a church here in Acts chapter 18. We see he plants here in, in Corinth. That's where he starts. He, he, a church plant is, a, is taking... Uh, a few Christians, and then reaching non-Christians, they get saved, you have a church. When people start meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, that's a church. The church begins to form. See, he's not going to a city, finding the, the, the church in the city, and getting a bunch of people excited from the other church to leave their church to start their other church. That's not what he's doing. He's not moving, uh, taking a bunch of Christians who are looking for a church in the suburbs to, to get planted there. And then, man, we will, that's how we'll do it. We'll just take Christians and, and move them around. That's not what he's doing. If you're here today and you're a guest with us and you're roll, roll, you want to roll with us, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to reach people who don't know, love, and trust Jesus yet. If you're just looking for a place to get around a bunch of Christians, get excited, sing some cool songs, and hopefully hear a message that's touching and, and lifts you up a little bit, like probably the wrong church. Unless you change your mind today. Because we're here to, to reach people for Jesus. That's why church, that's why Jesus started his church. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he died in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven of sins. We could have new life. We could, we could have a new future, a new hope, a new life, and a new eternity. And we love that. 
And we celebrate that as a church. We, we rejoice in that individually, collectively. And we want more people to know, love, trust, and meet Jesus. Yes, I hope you're encouraged. Yes, the job of the pastor is to equip you. Equip you unto Jesus' mission. That's what we're doing. That's what we hope to do. And so the Apostle Paul, that's his heart. That's his aim. That's what he did in this, this city of Corinth. He was bivocational likely for around 18 months. Uh, he, so that means he had a job. He, he wasn't getting paid by the church. But then some support came in through Macedonia to a church from a church that was, that was in, in poverty. Uh, they, were, they had very little, but they, get, they had big hearts. They loved Jesus. They loved his mission. And they gave radically and generously. So Paul was able to move to full-time vocational ministry. Oftentimes that's how church plants start. You start off by having to work jobs, two jobs, three jobs. Uh, I'm finally in the point in my life where I'm only working one job. And that's this. I don't have any other side gigs. And I praise God for that. We're a generous church, and I thank you for that. And it's, but this is Paul. That's how he started. He didn't always, uh, he, he was not always a tent maker his entire career, but he did get some support from Macedonia, and that allowed him to, to spend more time specifically in this region, in this church, preaching, teaching, equipping uh, the, the, this small church. He gave everything for this church. He gave everything. Like he wasn't even, he was barely in the city, barely planting the church. And then there was a, the, the city council and the religious leaders got together and they, they organized a unified attack on him. It's literally what the text says in Acts 18, that, that they had a unified attack on him. See, some of you think that, you know, you, we come here and you plant a church, you start something from scratch and it's like, man, uh, God must be really excited to bless it. He is. You know who's also uh, really excited to oppose it? Satan. He hates it. He hates it. Some of you have been here a while and you're like, why does this church get attacked so much? Well, because we're not going to poke any bears, but, you know, we're gonna, we are going to chop the head of Satan off over and over and over again. Like King Jesus did. That's what we're doing. We're going right after people who, who need the gospel, who need to know Jesus, who need to love him, who need to see that he loves them radically. He died in their place for their sins. He has new hope. He has new life for them. He wants to make them new. He wants to take them from where they're headed and bring them in and adopt them into the king's family. We're super passionate about that. And Satan and demons, they hate that. So they, they, they hated the Apostle Paul. They opposed him quickly. And he used religious leaders to, to attack him. The, 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 the demonic attack came from the, the, the city, the, the religious leaders in the city. I don't know how many times I've had church pastors tell me, and I tell you this, they literally do. Pastor, why do you preach about repentance so much? Because it's the only message that Jesus preached. It's the only message... John the Baptist preached. It's the message of the, the prophets. It's the, read the Bible. Repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. Repent. Turn from whoever you worship, yourself or someone else, and worship Jesus. That's what repentance is. Do it now. We need you to know, love, and trust Jesus. Turn, repent. I literally get people seeing me in coffee shops, and they say, Ow, I heard, I don't know who's listening to this stuff. I look at our, our views online. I don't think they are. But someone is talking about it. Someone's saying, hey, this guy just, they, they keep talking about repentance there. You know, wh what's going on here? There was a time in college before, you know, anything was ever public or online. I had a Bible study. And, and we were going through Romans chapter 9. And people will uh, assume that that's a really, uh, you know, hard chapter to preach through. And people get really upset and people get mad. And if you ever read it, yeah, so be it. It, may, it might be. People got saved that night. 30 men, and they left, they go and talk about it. And then when they would share the, the, their, their testimony, they would use expletives. So they were dropping the F-bomb while talking about how awesome Jesus was. 
I didn't know that. That's what they're just. Jesus is really cool. He's really awesome. Church leaders, hey, Al, you, you, I hear you, you preach Romans 9. Are you qualified to preach that? I was like, I just read it. We talked about it. That's what I did. God moved. Holy Spirit moved. People got saved. Like, yeah, well, I just, we just don't know. We're just, we hear some of your followers. They're, they're like cussing while they uh, talk about Jesus. And I'm like, that sounds like Jesus really did something there. That's awesome. I'm pumped. Like, that's the type of stuff my entire ministry career, I've, I've, I've had people, opposition from religious leaders, church people. That's what they, they, they oh, we just, it doesn't really look like Jesus, that doesn't sound like it. When non-Christians get saved, they look like Corinth, and we're going to get into it. I need to remind you, they got drunk at communion. Like, what do you think those people were thinking? I don't know, we got saved, been getting drunk at the house party, now they have wine at communion. I'll go around for double. Some of you see afterwards, we have some left over. It's grape juice, so don't get too excited. But imagine, there's a little leftover. Like, why can't we just, the guys making communion, you know, the, the deacons in the back leading, you know, they're like, ah, oh, there's leftover. We heard the Catholic priest gets to drink it, so we're going to do it. Like, that's, I don't know what they were thinking. That's what they were doing. See, when Jesus saves the people, he, he doesn't change them completely, perfectly, wholly, right away. He doesn't. Every single one of you, Jesus is working on you in different ways. Some of you, he's working on your anger. Some of you, he's working on your lust. Some of you, he's working on your marriage. Some of you, he's working on, on two of those. Some of you, he's working on, on things you didn't even know, patience. He wants to grow you, mature you. Some of you, he's trying to root out bitterness in your heart and, grant, and, and, and you to be a forgiving person. It, we all are, are, are on the path that Jesus has for us, and it's his job, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, to change, sanctify, form us into his likeness. And the Corinthians were wildly messed up. They were like the church gone wild. That's what they were. That's what they were. And so I need you to see when we, that we're looking to meet people and introduce them to Jesus, we're not asking them to, to clean yourself up and then come to Jesus. We're not asking them to, 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 to believe everything we believe automatically right away. Get Jesus, get Jesus, and from there we'll, we'll learn about what he says. And then we'll conform our lives to his likeness and his image. And so Corinth was, was, in a, was, was a city where, or in the central of the city, and in a large part of the city, was the Temple of Aphrodite. This is a, this is a prostitution sex cult ring. And so this, this is not a Christian city. Their ethics are different. Paul rolls in, and the civil government already, he gets taken to the civil government, and they put him, and they, they, they charge him. They're, they're trying to get him in trouble, trying to get him in prison. He gets beat up so many times through his journey of church planting. But he's resilient and won't stop because he's, as the text says, called by the will of God. He's bound. He's bound by the will of God. He's like, I, I used to not like Jesus. Paul used to kill Christians. One day I'm going to ask that, you know, like, none of you did that, did you? And someone's going to say yes. So just reserve that for, you know, later. Tell me after. Paul used to kill Christians. And Jesus saved him. This should tell you that Jesus is willing to, to save anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's willing to save you. And that was so compelling. He said, yes, Lord, Jesus, I'll do whatever you say. And he said, plant church. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And so that God has called him, he's been called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is a, this is an, he is an officer of the church. He is an apostle. He gets to now write books of the Bible. 
uh, and he's going to write he's, he's going to write four letters to the Corinthians. We only have two. We only have two. This is First Corinthians, which is likely it's the second letter. It's the second Corinthians, and the second Corinthians is like third or fourth. I know if that confuses you, I'm sorry. But he wrote multiple letters to the Corinthians, but only two of them were infallible and like the Word of God. What this tells us is Paul wrote two letters that Jesus had to go, you know what, we're going to lose those. <laughs> when, you, when you hear the stuff about what's going on in the church, you're going to be like, this guy, how does this guy not lose his mind? He did. We just don't know what he said. Two letters that they're like, no, we're, we're going to, God's going to, I'm going to erase those two letters. No more. We don't know where they're at. And so Paul got saved. He's, he's now in spiritual leadership. He's planting churches. And so the, the, the uh, uh, problems are arising in the church, and God has positioned him in authority right here to address the problems that arise in the church. And so he's going to address the, the problems that are arising here in the church in Corinth. It's important for us to see this because God says one thing, culture says another thing, and the church is sitting here going, which do I follow? You ever been there? You ever been there looked around going like, I don't know who to trust. I don't know what's right and what's wrong. There's literally two sides. And in our country, we, 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 we just go, oh, it's a right and left, a Republican, Democrat thing. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, Jesus, his church, his kingdom, and the world. Those are the two teams that we're looking at. We're not looking at just simply uh, political things in our country. And so what I need you to see is that, 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 that we as Christians in our day and age, we tend to go, what does the right say? What does the left say? I need you to hear me. What does God say? I don't care what any political pundits' talking points are. You shouldn't either. You shouldn't care what their talking points are as much as you care about what God's word says. And then you obey God and not man. And you hold them to what God's word says as well. Like that's our job. That's what we're doing. And so Paul is writing to this church. They need to know some things. About sex. They need to know some things about marriage. They need to know some things about how to handle alcohol. They, they need to know how to speak in tongues. When to do it. Should you do it. What should you do. They, this is all going on in this church. And so they look around at the drunk culture and they're like, oh, they're at the bar getting drunk. And, you know, they, you can't understand them. They're like, it kind of looks like church to me. When I take communion and the guy speaks in tongues, it kind of looks like church. And Paul's like, that's not how church should be. That's not how it should be. So he's writing to them. He's addressing things. He's cleaning some of these things up because he's in spiritual authority over them, called by the will of God. And so God says one thing. The culture says another thing. And so for us, we go, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? And so throughout this series, I need you to understand there's going to be some things that come up that Paul says by the will of God that just like we disagree with. I need you to remember this moment. You're going to disagree with the Bible at some point in our journey through 1 Corinthians. Maybe you'll blame me and go, that's Al's opinion. I need, I, I need you to understand, or you'll go, it's Paul's opinion. No, it's God's opinion if it's in the book. It's our job to hear God's opinion and go, oh, if, if that's your opinion and I have a different opinion, I'm wrong, you're right, let me change. And so Paul is in spiritual authority here in this church. And guess what they don't want? They don't want spiritual authority. They don't want someone telling them what to do. They want to have sex with whoever they want to. They want to, like, literally go to, the, to, to a guy's house that has, who's sacrificing uh, his food to demon gods. And they, they want to go eat there. And then you have the vegetarians who are like, anyone who eats meat is sinning. Like, they're just fighting over everything. 
Paul is addressing them to clear things up and also to bring unity in the church. But they're not unified by their politics. They're unified by God's word and Jesus' salvation and the marking of the Holy Spirit on their life. So just think about this. Big, progressive, Greco-Roman empire. Sexual morality is the norm. Pedophilia is norm. Drunkenness is norm. Lawsuits of whoever, whenever is norm. Gender issues, norm. They got a lot of questions. Sounds a lot like our day and age as well. We got a lot of questions. Who, the question we have to ask is, is who's in authority? Who gets to make the call on the issue? Is it you? Is it someone you respect? Is it the professor at the university? Who gets to make the call? See, we, just, we side with the creator, the guy who made everything. God, how did you establish it? How did we get here? What is your word, will, and way say? Who is the authority over your life? Is it God or culture? Is it God or you? Is it God or someone else? Is it the Bible or is it media? Who is your authority? Who is authority? That's the issue. So when Paul says he's called by the will of God to be an apostle, he's talking about authority. Who's in authority? And so Paul here is establishing his spiritual authority. He, God told him to say this. God told him to write this book. God is calling him to this. So he's in submission to God. He's also in submission to spiritual authority. He talks about he's with his brother Sosthenes. Paul is often writing, and he says, it's me and someone else. He's, he's often binding himself to accountability in, in other spheres as well. You never see Paul going, hey, it's just me. Me and Timothy, me and Titus, me and Sosthenes, me and Apollos. Me and, he, he has a crew around him where he's got to go talk to the elders of that church over there. They're going to send me out. Paul is a man who's not just in authority by the will of God, but he's a man who's under authority as well. He's a man who's under authority. And this is what we believe. We believe in spiritual authority. One, God's word, God and his word are, are our chief authority. And then God has given uh, leaders and pastors to a church to be in authority. But we are, we are under God's authority and we are under one another's authority. No one is isolated, autonomous leader, one authority. There's no monarchs here but Jesus. He's the king. We're all submitted to him. He's the true pastor of this church in Corinth and ours. And so we go to God's word. What does his authority say? And that's where we're at. That's where we find ourselves at. Next, Jesus, his church, and his people. That's what we're going to look at. Jesus, his church, and his people. So he's called uh, to, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those, who's he writing to? Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's not writing to just the culture. When I say they're getting drunk at communion, those are the Christians getting drunk at communion. When I say there's one guy sleeping with his stepmom, it's the Christian doing that. That's, that's in the book. That's, like, that's what happens. Like, these are Christians doing these things. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Jesus' people. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together. With those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Both their Lord and ours. So he's saying he's, he's, he, those who are Christians. I'm writing to you specifically in Corinth. But also every Christian on the face of planet earth. They ought to uh, agree to the things I'm going to say. And so he's writing to the, the church of God, he says. I need you to see this. This is Jesus' church. Not just the, the Corinthian church, but our church. This church right now, where we're at, we are Jesus' church. He's the true lead pastor. He is. 
Jesus' church. This is God's church that does, and so does that change your perspective on anything? Like if, if you walked into someone's house and, and it was someone you loved, someone you respected, maybe it was a, a college coach or a, a friend or a, someone, uh, maybe, you know, a grandparent, you walk into their house and you're like, man, their house, their rules, I respect them. I may not agree with everything they say, but, you know, I have some reverence towards them. I need you to see the church, not just the building, but the people, the, 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 or, the organized, gathered church. This is Jesus' church. So when you think about saying something about a church, think, make sure you know you're saying about Jesus' church. When you think about uh, saying something about the, the, the folks in this, in this room, in this, in this, you know, you're, you're frustrated with people because that's what they're going to get to do. They're going to get real frustrated with one another and fight with each other. Know that you're talking to Jesus' people. This is, this, that should change your perspective. That should change your perspective on how you love the church. Do you love the church like Jesus loves the church? Now, some people go, yeah, I love the big C church. I'm just a big C church guy. Any of you out there? Big C church guys. What big C church guys are are guys who stay at their home and don't go to church. That's what those people are. Likely. That's what they are. We're just big C church people, man. What church you go to? Oh, we don't really, we don't really commit to anyone, you know, because we're like, we really love the big church. See, if you're not submitted to spiritual authority, there's no one to correct you. There's no one to help you. There's no one to grow you. There's no one to, to, to do what he's, he's saying here to help you be sanctified. Big C church is great, but this church is a local church. We are all a part of the Big C church. Anyone who's a Christian is a part of the Big C church. But God has given local expressions of the church. We see that through Acts. We see that right here in this book when Paul's writing to a specific local church context in Corinth. Do you love the church like Jesus loves the church? Do you want to? If that's your prayer, you're like, I don't. But Lord Jesus, help me love the church like you love the church. If you're married in here and you're like, I don't, well, I feel sorry for your wife. Because that's your job, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And if you don't love the church, then you probably don't love your wife very well. You never thought about it that way, have you? Never thought about how I, I, I view Jesus' church not just affects my, my, how I participate in a local gathering and in the local context, but also it affects how I view my wife, how I treat my wife, how I care for my wife. Do you love Jesus and his church like Jesus loves his church? Do you serve Jesus' church like Jesus serves his church? Do you, do you see that Jesus has fit you together here at this church for a purpose and a reason? Or have you put Jesus' church at, at a, at, at, at a part, portion of your life where you're at the center and his church is here, your work's here, and everything revolves around you and not around Jesus? Ask yourself those questions as we go through this. Jesus' church and Jesus' people. This is us. We all here together are Jesus' church. If you're a Christian, you're Jesus' people. And he says to those who are being sanctified, those sanctified, those who are sanctified. That, what does that mean? Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Meaning you're, there, there are parts of you right now that have not been perfected. Can I get an amen someone in here and like, I'm not perfect? Thank you. I mean, I agree. We're not. None of us are perfect. Amen. We're not. But we are being made holy. That's good news. 
Some of you, you ended the year, you're going, you look, you reflect back on the year and you're like, man, look how awful my year was. Look how awful of a person I was. Look how awful the things I did. Look at my sin. Look at my past. Look at where I'm at. I need you to see you're being sanctified, being made holy if you were in Christ. I don't care what you think you saw in your, in your last year, but if you were in Christ, it is his job to make sure he completes the work that he began in you. He's going to do it. That's why Paul says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. He's already saying it as, as, it's been, as if it has been done. Because when you know, love, and trust Jesus, his righteousness, Jesus' perfection has been imputed or given to you. You've received Jesus' perfection, his holiness. You are stamped and declared holy and righteous by the God of the universe. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are holy. You've been made holy. Jesus has been made an object of wrath in your place. That's what the cross was. He took your place. He took your debt. He took your sin and said, I will pay for that, for them to be in my family, with my life. And he does. He has made, he who is holy gives his holiness to us in exchange for our imperfection and our sin, and he gets our punishment. And so through faith in Jesus, you've now been set apart as holy, declared righteous by Jesus through faith in Jesus. You are sanctified, made holy, set apart. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the parts of you that are not cleaned up yet, he's cleaning up. And he will continue to clean up perfectly till Jesus comes back. It's good news. So he's writing to a church where they're not cleaned up already. They, they don't look like they have their stuff together. They don't even look Christian in some ways. They don't even look Christian. Yeah, they're like, we're a church. We love Jesus. And the, and the world around them, like, you don't look any different than us. And some of you have felt that way about Jesus' church before. I need you to understand, Jesus can handle it. He knows. And he's, and he's, he's sent his spirit to change and transform. And he's given us the word of God. And so what we're doing together is going, hey, we agree with Jesus. We, we, we believe that he wants to make us holy and more like him through a process of called sanctification. So since he's already declared us righteous, we need to start living righteous. Because that's who we are. We are righteous people. We are to live righteous. So he calls them saints. He calls them saints. Called to be saints. So you are called to be holy. You've, not, you've been declared holy. You've been declared righteous by Christ's righteousness uh, imputed to you. But now you are also called, if you're a Christian, to live that righteousness out as a saint, as a son, as a daughter of God. You're called to, to pursue holiness. Christians are made holy through faith in Jesus, through the, through the imputed righteousness of Christ, but then they're called to live holy by the power of Christ's Spirit. This is why we talk so much about, we're, we're, we're a church that wants to follow Jesus. What's the second thing we do? We fight sin. Because sin keeps us from Christ. Sin murdered our beloved Savior. So we fight the sin, in, not in you, in other people, we fight our own sin indwelling sin, our bitterness, our anger, our lust, our pride. We, we put it aside, we put it to death continually by the Spirit of God so that we may have life. We might have fellow, continual greater fellowship with the God who saves us. Let me ask you this. If you have a friend or a family member or a, a spouse and you continue to willingly offend them, 
lie to them, hurt them, manipulate them, use them. How, how, how do you think that affects the relationship? It does, right? They may love you unconditionally, but it affects the relationship. Jesus loves us unconditionally, but our sin affects our relationship. We act as if his, his atoning sacrifice was pointless. So we follow Jesus, we fight our sin vigorously, and then we continue to press forward fulfilling the mission. This is what Paul is calling this church here to do, to, to, to follow Jesus, to fight their sin, to fulfill the mission, because it's Jesus' church, and we're Jesus' people. We've been made holy and righteous through faith in him, and we're to live out that holy and righteousness by the power of the Spirit. So therefore, we need grace. Anyone, you, any, anyone who struggles to live out perfection and righteousness and holiness? All right, just me. Uh, we had an amen earlier, you know. I didn't know it was going to continue. Uh, we, need, we need grace. We fail. We utterly fail often, frequently. Have you ever been at a point where you're like, man, I, I, I don't want to be angry at this person. I, I've been praying about it. I've been praying for them. And, and then all of a sudden you see them and now you're angry at them again. You say something you wish you didn't say. You ever been there? I'm, I must be the only one. I, I do, this, this is a thing. I need grace to abound in my life. And Paul says this to the Corinthians. Grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need grace. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor. It means you can't earn it. You can't. God just gives it. It's a gift he gives freely. You can't, you can't out-sin the grace of God. That's what grace is. It's a free gift. It's a gift of God. The Corinthians, they've blown it. They've blown it a lot. They got four letters from this guy. Two of these guys, he was like cussing them out. I don't know if he was, but I don't know. He, he gets, and you're like, oh, no, no way Paul was doing that. If you think that Paul never cussed anyone out maybe in a letter or something or got real frustrated, then you don't understand that he said he's the chief of sinners. He says, I sin more than all of you guys. You're like, could a pastor do that? Yes. He needs grace. He needs mercy. And he understands how much... Jesus has had mercy on him. He says some things where other writers go, man, Paul's harsh. Paul says some things that are hard. Peter's like, man, he rebuked me publicly. Peter, like, Jesus is right-hand man, like, in tears because Paul's, like, rebuking him. Paul's like, I need grace, you need grace, grace towards you and peace from God the Father. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Corinthians have blown it. Paul has blown it. He killed Christians. He understands God has grace. I feel the same way. You should feel the same way. There's a deep need for grace. You don't deserve it. If you think that you deserve grace, you don't. You deserve wrath. But Jesus took your wrath and gave you grace. I talk about it all the time. There's more mercy and grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. How much sin do you got? There's more mercy and grace in Jesus. And you're like, well, I don't have a lot, but the other person does. Well, thank God he has more grace grace for them as well. You should too. You should. And so grace is not just the, the, the continual forgiving of sin. Because that's one thing grace does. It can, Jesus in his grace continues to forgive our sin. Why? Because he's atoned for our past, present, and our future sin. Meaning any sin we commit now or, or forthcoming has already been atoned for. So his grace has already been extended. It's already been merited. It's already been, it's been merited by him. It's not merited by you, but it's to be received freely by you. So his grace abounds towards us as we continue to sin, as we continue to be made perfect. 
Don't abuse grace, but that's exactly what grace does. It continues to abound as sin abounds. Literally, Romans speaks specifically to that. As sin abounds, God's grace abounds towards his people. But there's another thing about grace. It has the power to keep you from sinning as well. See, grace doesn't just save us, but grace sustains us. We need God's saving grace to save us and to atone for our sins. But we need God's sustaining grace to keep us believing, to keep us hoping, to keep us trusting, to keep us wanting to follow him, to, to empower us to obedience. So if we're going to be the saints who are saint, being sanctified, we need the power that does not come from within us but comes from outside of us. We need the same power that Jesus had in order for him to live his sinless life. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a grace given to us, a power given to us that not just saves us, but sustains us. Grace sets us apart, and it empowers us to live like whom we've been called to be, to live like Jesus. And so I know many Christians, that we love the first part. We love the first part. We have, there's grace. I have grace for me. I have grace for other people. We forgive. We have grace. Grace doesn't just abound and, and, and cover your sin. Grace should also empower you to live holy lives, to go, oh, man, I used to just willfully walk into this situation without thinking about what Jesus would do, and now I should, I'm going to start doing that. You ever been there? You're like, I used to do this one, used to do this thing. When someone would irritate me, make me mad, I would just immediately fire off and say something. Now I think about what I'm going to say. I take my thought captive, you know, and I go, you know what, what, what am I thinking? Is this true? Is this honorable? Is this just? You're, you're quoting Philippians 4.8 to yourself. You're doing these things. You know, you know how you do that? By grace. The power of grace. God's given you grace in that moment to think sober-mindedly by the power of the Spirit who, who governs and rules your hearts and lives. So that by the Spirit you can put to death the deeds of the body, fight your sin, and live and follow Jesus. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. And so he, he says, he's giving them, he says, he says to them, he, you've been set apart, you've been empowered uh, by the grace of God. I need you, church. I need, I'm going to extend grace to you because you've blown it. But God has extended grace to you. Paul is not extending to them what they have not already received. He, he's reminding them whose they are. You're, 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 you are, you have peace with God now, church. And the Lord Jesus. He, they've had grace towards you. I know you've been messed up. I know you're messing it up. I know you feel like a royal failure. I know you feel like, man, I'm not even acting like a Christian. I'm not thinking things Christians do. I don't want to, sometimes don't even want to do the things Christians do. I'm just struggling. And I look around and I just assume that in order to be a Christian, you have to have your life together. I just assume that in order to be a Christian, you have to follow all the rules. I'm just assuming everything the media is telling me about, oh, you got to vote this way, do this thing. Just, you got to get to Jesus, church. Get to Jesus. Whose are you? That's the most important question. Who owns you? Is it Jesus it's Jesus, everything else can, will, will work itself out. Far too often we want to deal with other things before getting to the heart of the issue. Whose are you? Whose are you? You Jesus's? Then in Christ Jesus, he's empowered you for a life of true fulfillment, true contentment, true joy, and true peace. And that is a life of holiness. That's why Paul is wanting to live holy that's why, why we live holy lives. It's not to earn God's love. 
It's not to, to earn his favor. It's because that is the life that's been blood-bought for us, a life of flourishing, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of contentment, even when the world around us is in chaos and in confusion. It's been given to us, granted to us, because we are created in Christ Jesus. We're created in him, in his image, to look like, act like, and talk like him. And now we've been bought back and been given grace, the power to save us, to bring us into the family, the power to sustain us, to live like the king's kids. And so Paul continues, and, he, and here he, he, he turns his attention, he has a heart of a pastor here. For a church that has really blown it, he goes, I thank my God always for you. Do you see this? Like, he's right, he's written four letters. And 1 Corinthians is the second longest letter he wrote. And he's dealing with every issue under the sun. And they're giving him a real headache. But he says, you know, I thank my God always for you. He has this perspective that is beyond just the present. He has this heart of a pastor, a pastor like Jesus. And he says, why does he thank God always? He says, because the grace of God, that word that we've been using, uh, the, the unmerited favor of God that he has given you in Christ Jesus. He's like, guys, y'all keep blowing it, but Jesus keeps forgiving you. And it blows my mind, and it's amazing. I thank you that Jesus hasn't given up on me. I thank you that Jesus hasn't given up on you. I thank you that he hasn't given up on me. I thank you that he doesn't give up on people. He loves you. He's not going to give up on you. Don't give up on yourself. He says, he just thanks God for that, always, every time he thinks about them. He says that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge. Like not only has Jesus forgiven you of your sins, not only has he brought you into the family, not only has he saved you in, in a, a cultural context that's wild and perverted, but he, he loves you and he's drawn near to you and he, he's, he's enriched you, he's given you gifts. He's, he's teaching you about him, he's giving you knowledge. Some of you are preachers, like Apollos, we're going to see later. Like some of these guys, like they, they, he's gifting them in the church. And so God has given them a lot of grace. because they Yes, because they needed it. Their sin abounds, their grace abounds. But God is thankful for that grace. I need you to see who in your life, what church in your life, what, where in your life, do you, do you look, see the sin? You're like, man, the sin is wild there. I, that person just won't ever change. Do you see them through the lens of the grace of God? I need you to do that. I need you to see yourself through the lens of the grace of God as well. His sin or his grace abounds to you. This church has been a pain to Paul. How many, who in your life has been a pain to you? Can you say this? I thank my God always because as you've been crazy, God's grace continues to abound towards you. If he can have grace towards you, I'm going to have grace towards you. That doesn't mean you trust someone always. It doesn't mean you trust your abuser. It doesn't mean you trust someone who's, who's harmed from you, stolen from you, or the, the person who, you know, who's taking my phone and, you know, you know, trying to get money from you guys. I don't trust that guy. I'll forgive him. But, you know, we don't, we're not going to exchange numbers. Not going to come over for dinner. You may not do that, but you can, you, can, you can thank God that he has grace on them. That there's, there's an opportunity for mercy for them. And, and, and I need us to do that, church. Because there's a day coming 
where, the, and it's already here, like the majority of our city, majority of our country, they're not Christians. And, and the, the pressure from the outsider is going to heat up, kind of like the Apostle Paul. There's going to be attacks on the church that are going to be pretty vibrant. And we're going to look around and go, man, that, that person's a Christian, but they don't agree the same things with me on this, this issue, that issue. You need to understand God has grace on them and grace on you. If we know, love, and trust Jesus as our King, and He is our only Savior, and He is our only hope, man, we're family. We have to work through a lot of things. Like they have to work through a lot of things. So need this is a practice. Are you thankful for those that God has put in your life, particularly the Christians, because God has grace for them? It abounds. This is the heart of a pastor. And I love it because he's reminding them of the work that God has done. He's reminding them, look what God has done in your life. That's what pastors do. And forgive me if I don't do that enough. Show you what God is doing among you. And as I look around here, I'm just really encouraged. Like the God's grace has abounded in our church. It has. Throughout this series, I'll probably talk about more and more ways that it has. But in more times than not, as I talk to people about what, have, what has gone on in the life of our church throughout our entire existence, we sound like the Corinthians. We really do. We really do. But God is gracious towards us, and I love it. It's messy. It's hard. Sometimes it gets really, really, really difficult. But what I've seen is through the difficult seasons, through the muddy seasons, through the hard seasons, God continues to lavish grace and mercy, and it abounds to us, and it yields maturity. It yields life change. It yields transformation. Paul's looking at this church with, with encouragement to them, telling, reminding them, telling them of what God has done in their life. I need you to look around. If you're only thinking about yourself, I need you to, for a moment now, look, or you don't have to physically look, but I need you to know God is working in this church. And among people, individuals in this church, yes. But collectively, holistically, far more vibrant. And I see it. And I have the privilege to see it in ways that many of you don't. So I thank God for you. I thank God for the grace he has on us. How he has sustained us continually. There's been times where there was one point in time, and some of you were here when it happened, when we lost everybody. We had a whole group that was basically a sex cult. We had, uh, I mean, it's, it's real. Uh, and we had other people who said, you know, we don't believe in preaching anymore, and, you know, we don't believe that we should sing or do music or we do any worship stuff, so we're going to stop. Everyone needs to come give a word, and, you know, no one needs to have authority. It also happens in the Corinthians as well. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And the, right now, the guy who self-proclaimed said, I'm going to be the discipleship guy leader. He's no longer a Christian. Uh, they, he has a, a fluid relationship with his wife. And it's just wild. It's wild. And then, and then God sustained us. God sustained us. We've never not been able to pay a bill. We've never been in debt. We've never not had, had the money to do what God has called us to do, even when it was like we were, we were living paycheck to paycheck. God has much grace on this church. And he will and he always will. And so it's awesome to be, bear witness to it. And I just want to thank God publicly. And I want to encourage you. The grace of God is abound in your life. And from my, my vantage point, I see it. I see the light. I see the glory shining and radiating. And so we thank Jesus for that always. And that's what he's doing here. He ends with this, the faithfulness of God. And this, kind of, this is what I need us to see. As I just mentioned, God has been faithful to our church continually and always. And he says it this way, verse 6. Even as the testimony, of our, uh, uh, testimony of, about Christ was confirmed among you, meaning people got saved. 
in this church, in this wild environment, at the temple of Aphrodite, people were getting saved. This is like guys walking out of, of the, uh, the, the, you know, the strip club and they're meeting Jesus, not in the strip club, but outside the strip club. Uh, the, that's where you would do the ministry. Uh, and you're in the parking lot, they're meeting Jesus, and they're like, Dude, we're never coming back here. People are getting saved. They're getting saved. They're coming to church now. They're coming to church. And he, he says, it was confirmed among you. They were, they, were, they were legit. They were saved. So that, he says this, you are not lacking any gift. This church is probably about 40, or sorry, 50 to, to 60 people. Not a big church. Not a mass movement yet. Smaller churches, you're like, man, we're lacking a lot. Lacking money, resources, people. You know, how, how many of you... Feel the feel the, the pain point of serving in the kids. You're like, man, we are, we're birthing. We're on now cycle three with kids. Like people have had one, two, and now people are having three. You know, when you add a third kid, you don't have, uh, you're not adding a third volunteer. It's just like, you, it's just where we're at. And you're like, you're not lacking any gift? No, you're not. He says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, is what we're waiting until Jesus, or I mean, we're, we're continuing to work till Jesus comes. Verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end. Who? Jesus will sustain you to the end. And on that day what happens? You'll be guiltless in that day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope you see this in the context of this church. They are very aware that they have royally messed up and sinned massively. And they've seen their faithlessness. Here God's reminding them of God's faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. It's empowering. He says that you're not lacking any gift. You're not lacking. People come and go. Money comes and goes. But God doesn't. He is faithful always. And he will remain faithful until he returns. And when he returns, he, there's gonna be, we're going to be fully guiltless. We're going to be ushered into his presence because God is faithful. He who began the good work will complete it. This is what he's reminding this church here. That they already have all they need. Because if Jesus can save them, if Jesus can handle their eternity, he can handle their presence, their, temp with their temporary needs. He's already supplied their needs. He's saying, look around church, what gifts do you have in the church? You have all the things you need to do what I've called you to. So when we look around as a pastoral staff and, and our elders, we look around and go, look, this is the people who God has called here. We have all the gifts we need. We have the money we need. We sometimes we've got to encourage some of them, some of you to use them, but we have it. We have it. And, and whatever Jesus wants us to do, we have what we need. You're like, well, it feels like we're lacking. Yeah, they thought so too. So he says, you're not lacking. You know who also felt like they were lacking? The disciples of Jesus when they had no food. It's a day where they had no food. Then they found a, Jesus said, hey, there's a guy over there. He has a couple fishes, some fish and some loaves. Just, just a little bit of lunch. Just his lunch, personal-sized lunch. A lunchbox from a kid. And Jesus multiplies that and feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 people with a sandwich. And they had leftovers. Why? Because God is faithful. See, we have, to, we have to think like God here. This church is struggling how we probably are to think like God. Man, it looks like we're lacking. All we got is some fish. All we got is some loaves. 
There's also times throughout the, the, the Old Testament when God would take his army to face another army. And he'd say, actually, sit half the team down. Oh, three quarters of the team. Let's just go forward with 300 of the guys and, hey, let's get one guy to hold his hands up. And that's how we're going to win. If that guy's hands drops, we're going to lose. So y'all got to hold his hands up. Imagine that. Like you're in a war and you're like, my job is to hold the dude's arms up. And when I do, we win. Why? Because there's a God factor in it. God said it. God said it, so we do it. And when you do things God's way, it gets God-sized results. It does. It does. And so God is faithful. He is faithful here. I need you to see it. They're not lacking any gift. We are not lacking any, any gift. But do we trust the power and mighty and in awe? Or, or, or the mighty power of, of the Lord Jesus, and will we, will we sit and wait in awe and trust that Jesus can do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine? That's what he's asking them to do. That's what I'm asking us to do. As we enter this new year, as we labor to build a kingdom culture here in this city, as we continue the mission that Jesus gave us, Will we do so understanding that when we do things Jesus' way, when we understand texts like we're not lacking any gift, that he's, he's being serious and it's true, which means that we must rely on the God factor. We must rely on Jesus. We must rely on the guy who took the fish and the loaves and multiplied it and feed, fed 5,000, that, that we're willing to bring whatever we have to Jesus. Our time, whatever time, not, not, I'm not saying you have to spend all your time. I'm saying just what time do you have available to serve Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve his church? What time, what, our time, our talent, our gifts, what, the things that we're good at, God has called us to, united us together in. How do we use that, steward that to love, serve, and bless Jesus and his church? In, in, our, in our talent, our treasure, our money, the stuff we have, how do we organize? How do we put Jesus at the center of our lives and say, Jesus, whatever you have me do, I will do. Even if it's just some fish, just some loaves. I trust that you will multiply this. I trust that, Jesus, you will multiply my efforts. Therefore, all the efforts I do, whether I'm greeting at the front door or I'm setting something up, whatever I do, God, whatever I do, I do that in faith, trusting that you will do far more abundantly than I can ask or imagine. That's what I'm asking of us. That's what I'm asking of us. I'm not asking how do you you get a calendar and, and make sure time, talent, and treasure go to the church more. I'm asking you, as you do everything, you do so in a posture of, of faith, trusting that God can use that moment and will use that moment and ask God to use that moment. Multiply it. Because he's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. So as we conclude, I need you to see, this is Jesus' church. The well is Jesus' church. You who are Christians... You've been set apart. You've been drafted onto Jesus' team. He has called you to this city, to this work, and he's going to empower us with an infinite mercy and grace. Therefore, he's going to continue to forgive sins, and he's going to continue to empower you to do what he's called to do, calls you to do. So take comfort. Take comfort. It's not on your back. It's not on your shoulders. It's on Jesus's. He wants to use you. He wants to help you. He wants to work out his, his mission through you. And he is faithful to do it. Will you continue to trust him? Will you continue to obey him? Will you continue to hope in him? And when you find yourself at odds with him and his word, will you continue to submit to him? Because as the text says in verse 8, he will sustain you to the end. So don't give up. 
You feel like giving up? Don't. He's going to sustain you to the end. You feel like you're going to outsin the mercy and grace of Jesus? He will pronounce you guiltless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how will he do that? Well, he's faithful. By whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a great hope. We have a great salvation. It is secure because Jesus is faithful. He will not give up on you so you don't give up on him and his church. Let's, let's pray and then we can respond. Lord Jesus, as we respond, reflecting on what you've taught us today, may we respond in obedience and faith. Jesus, you're faithful. We praise you for the grace and mercy that abounds in us and in our church. We love you and we, we're in awe of you. Now as we prepare to take communion, as we look at the length, Jesus, you went to save us. May we do so with great gladness, with, with great excitement and great celebration being reminded continually that there's more mercy and grace in you, Jesus, than sin in us. Empower us to worship as we respond and empower us to worship you, Jesus, with our lives as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.